Welcome to the College Commons Podcast and our acclaimed author series, brought to you by HUC Connect, together with the Jewish Book Council. We'll meet authors recognized by the National Jewish Book Awards and discuss their celebrated books. My name is Joshua Holo, Dean of HUC's Skirball Campus in Los Angeles, and your host. Welcome to this episode of the College Commons Podcast and our special acclaimed author series in partnership with the Jewish Book Council. I'm very pleased to welcome Rabbi Dr. Aaron Lieb Smokler. She is the Dean of Students and the Director of Spiritual Development at Yeshivat Maharat Rabbinical School, where she teaches Hasidism and Pastoral Torah. She just won the 2021 National Jewish Book Award in Modern Jewish Thought and Experience for her collection, Torah in a Time of Plague, Historical and Contemporary Jewish Reflections from Ben Yehuda Press. It's a collection of essays engaging our global pandemic in relation to Jewish thought, spirituality, and history. Dr. Lieb Smokler, mazel tov on your award, and thank you so much for joining us on the College Commons podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to begin, against all reason, at the very beginning of your book. In your introduction, you develop an idea coined as theological vertigo, a kind of dizzy destabilization caused by COVID. Can you elaborate a bit on this lyrical but troubling idea? Theological vertigo um, is a phrase that I really absorbed from Dr. Aviva Zornberg, um, who writes an essay herself about the experience of Sarah, our foremother, and what it must have felt like for her to be the onlooker or the bystander to a world coming undone, uh, in, in her case, in the form of her son's near binding Akedah. Building off of a midrash and a commentary from the Maharal of Prague, it is noticed that uh, Sarah dies on account of the near death of her son. Not the death, but the near death. And that's a kind of curious point to see that that there are reverberations, powerful, uh, painful, dangerous reverberations for being in proximity to pain, being in proximity to uncertainty, bearing witness, again, not only to one's own demise, but to the destabilization of the world as one has known it. And that just seemed so very resonant for me, confronting the world that we're living in. Um, Of course, there's the absolute pain and suffering um, of those who have been touched by this pandemic physically, emotionally, psychologically, financially, etc. And all of us, all of us have suffered an additional pain. And that is what I consider to be this notion of theological vertigo. Having to deal with tremendous amounts of instability, of everything that we took to be true and stable coming really undone. Um, And I think this was felt obviously in the realm of our physical well-being, but I also wanted to give language for the spiritual condition, the really existential spiritual condition of 
um, living in the midst of such rapid change and so very much uncertainty. I want to pick up on precisely that theme and having begun at the beginning, uh, let's bookend this conversation by going all the way to the end of the book, continuing this thought with the final essay by Michael Fishbane titled Aging in Place, A Spiritual Fact of Life. I want to focus Fishbane's many thoughts in relation to what you brought to the table as theological vertigo. Fishbane cites an interpretation by Rabbi Mordechai Yosef Leiner of Ishpitza on the book of Ecclesiastes. And in this interpretation, Abraham views his pending mortality as an opportunity for growth. Fishbane writes that in this reading, Abraham's, quote, central concern was not to focus on the quantity of mortal days left to him, but to seek their spiritual quality, close quote. And Fishbane further, he points out that this vortex of life crises, or as you may put it, this theological vertigo, can actually give us the opportunity to live life more deeply, to get past the limitations that we normally allow to govern us in day-to-day life. And so I want to ask you, where have you found the opportunities that we gain from either theological vertigo or the vortex of this particular life crisis? This is a a good question. Um, I think Professor Fishbane's perspective is a is a beautiful rumination and meditation on precisely this phenomenon of coming to terms with one's days. Um, as a personal reflection, if you're asking me, I think that one of the difficult contributions of this time period has been putting into relief for us in a very visceral way what is otherwise a truth but is in the background of our lives and that is the importance of the present moment um, the way in which we do not control our lives our universes um, and those around us Um, so in my experience there has been a real quieting of background noise and a recentering on things that matter, which for me are my family, those I love, um, the tradition I love as well, that has been a source of great healing for me. So I, I think that if I'm to wed together a little bit of Michael Fishbane's own really beautiful essay and my own reflections on this moment, um, I guess I would, I would really just say that the sharp focus that we have when confronted with our own mortality is not gifted to us usually until the end of our days and we don't ever know when that is going to be what the pandemic has done is forced us all into that kind of consciousness and i think as he himself is pointing out that's fishbane um, it can really be received as an opportunity and as a gift and that's something that i wanted to do in this project was to kind of name that and to give people space to be conscious, to be reflective, to kind of seize this moment to actually, yeah, meditate on the meaning of our lives as they appear to us in this ephemeral but really sharp kind of a way. 
you talk about the focus turning toward our relationships. And I want to turn now to the essay by Yitz Landis titled Praying Away the Plague, which discusses Avraham Catalano's book titled Olam Hafuch, which means the world turned upside down, Mm -hmm. describing a plague in the city of Padua, Italy, in the year 1630. And as reported to us by Landis, this 17th century author, Catalano, describes the effort to sustain the comfort and solidarity of communal prayer, so central to Judaism, while at the same time respecting the risks of contagion. Catalano writes 400 years ago, quote, and then we decreed on all unmarried men to come and pray outside the synagogue of the Ashkenazim in the courtyard of the synagogue so that there would be space between those praying. Eerily reminiscent, I think we would agree, Mm -hmm. of what we today call social distancing. Mm -hmm. This pre-modern case captures this human tension of our desire to wrestle with reality if we have to, for the sake of being in each other's presence. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you how these historical examples have maybe reshaped your understanding of our contemporary experience. Great question. Um, There are at least two, maybe more, but at least two essays in this book that are very uh, explicitly historical reflections. Yitz Landis is one, and Josh Teplitsky also wrote an essay. And both of these do a wonderful job of pointing out the similarities of our contemporary experiences and the historical ones of the past, and also point to those very, very human desires that continue to surface no matter the circumstances. So I found it greatly comforting to read aspects of the historical record indicating, as you said, a desire to come together as a group, come what may. In the Teplitsky piece, there's also really interesting archival material questions that were asked to rabbis about family life under these conditions and even sexual life under these conditions. And it was just just so human to see uh, the ways that we continue to need each other. Uh, We continue to need our bodies. We continue to need really the most mundane things um, even even under pressing circumstances. I mentioned archives before regarding the work of Josh Teplitsky, a historian. And I want to share with this audience that part of the hope of this book is that it serve as a kind of archive, a contemporary archive for the experience of COVID-19 in the Jewish community. And so when we read about the stories of Jews gathering to pray centuries ago, I hope that we can reflect on that with really contemporary eyes to see that their experiences are like ours and that 
part of the kind of broader sociological phenomenon of COVID-19, I think, is a feeling of the return to history. Those of us who have been blessed to grow up uh, privileged, frankly, Jewishly privileged, but also privileged to feel ourselves living with security and without scarcity. I think this pandemic has really thrown us back into the long arc of human history and, and Jewish history to remind us that we are as vulnerable as our ancestors were and that we're also capable as they were of, of resilience and of healing through community. I know that my synagogue met outside through the winter, more than one winter. We met every single week in the snow, in the rain, on ice. We showed up in our snowsuits. We brought our children. It was really quite a testament to this deep human need to gather. And we can see it from the past and we know it now. Um, and I hope we can thereby feel all the more connected to our ancestors and to their own resilience in getting through this all. The College Commons podcast is proud to be part of HUC Connect, the Hebrew Union College's online platform for continuing education. HUC Connect features four programs, webinars, live conversations with social and cultural influencers on topics of civil society, arts and culture, religion, and redefining allyship, Community Connect, ready-made lesson plans for synagogue and community learning, The Masterclass, live sessions of Judaica with HUC faculty exclusively for our alumni. Enroll soon because seats are limited. And of course, the College Commons Podcast, in-depth conversations with Judaism's leading thinkers. For more information about HUC Connect and all it has to offer, visit huc.edu slash hucconnect. And now, back to our program. I want to take that plank of our power of our desire for community and shift it a little bit to our desire to connect with God to talk a little bit about Gordon Tucker's contribution, Theodicy and the Slings and Arrows of Outrageous Fortune, in which Tucker raises, arguably, at least for some, the highest stakes questions, such as, is God good? And if God is good, why does God create such terrible stuff, such as plagues? And he frames it in the context of this idea of theodicy. So I'm going to ask this in a two-part question. First of all, remind us, if you would, what is theodicy? Theodicy tries to make sense of a God who might be good, who might be generous, and who might be all-knowing, beneficent, benevolent, and omniscient, who nevertheless somehow also allows a world of evil. So uh, there's a long philosophical tradition outside of Judaism that has tried to wrestle with that question, and Jew Jewish theology has also contributed quite a bit, uh, with the book of Job being perhaps our first statement on the matter. So Tucker, going back to the article, he asks the question, is it irreligious? Is it impious 
Is it chutzpahdik? Mm-hmm. To study theodicy, to ask the questions that theodicy asks, to try to justify God in the face of calamity. I'm not so concerned as to whether or not it is irreligious or impious to ask the question of theodicy, but rather, is it relevant? Is it relevant to so many of us who don't have such a pious notion of God in the first place? <laughs> I do recognize that the, um, the kind of religious approach to, to theodicy might itself not resonate for a contemporary population. That being said, the, the grounding impetus for those questions, the sense of unfairness, the sense of um, meaninglessness, returning to the theological vertigo um, for a moment, I will say that the term, let's leave theology out of it for a moment and just focus on vertigo, right? Vertigo is a word that might be familiar to some from Sartre, from the existential philosophical tradition, referring to a kind of dizziness born of of being thrown into a world that seems meaningless. So I guess I wonder whether the Theo part of theodicy, the Theos meaning God, I recognize that that frame might not be the right one for everyone. And yet I'm going to stick with the vertigo, though, as one that I do think very intuitively rings true for so many people. The idea of a world that is predictable and a world that offers us firm grounding is something that I do think most people require to get on with life. And I think that the destabilization of that that has characterized the past number of years is its own kind of theodicy, its own kind of internal discomfort as we try to find our way through all of this. The question or the challenge of theodicy has been a deeply personal one for me um, and a scholarly academic one, if you will. Um, I wrote my own PhD dissertation on theodicy um, in the writings of the Piazetsner Rebbe, Rabbi Kalanimus Kalman Shapira. Rabbi Kalanimus Kalman Shapira uh, was known as the Rebbe of the Warsaw Ghetto, and he lived and preached and ultimately died uh, during the Holocaust. Um, and so what he offered in the form of, of uh, drashot or homilies that he would give weekly and write down his notes afterwards, uh, he left in a milk can for ultimately Polish construction workers to find, he left these homilies that were given week after week inside of the ghetto. And uh, through the language of Jewish tradition and with no references, interestingly, to his own historical circumstances, no direct references to Nazis, for example, um, he nevertheless goes through his own reckoning with Uh, with this question of theodicy. 
and um, in the depths of despair as he lost his own family and as his community, you know, was totally decimated. Um, the Rebbe himself moved from a stance of justification, that is theodicy, to one of anti-theodicy, which is uh, not anti-religious or anti-God, but I think somewhat similar perhaps to what you are suggesting is a stance that says the question itself is not, it's not right to be asked, not because it's impious, but actually because uh, it's so beyond our grasp. Um, now, I, I don't think that the average American Jew is necessarily um, let's say, offended by the question of theodicy for the reasons that uh, the Rebbe of the Warsaw Ghetto might have been. But I do think that the desire to find some kind of reckoning between the world that we expected and the world as it is, is something that rings true across time and place. It does ring true. And it does resonate with a world that has changed precipitously from what we expected to what we have. And so I want to end this interview with a perspective from you of surprise, not the surprise of all of us being broadsided by a global pandemic, but a surprise, perhaps a delightful surprise that you encountered in reading and editing these pieces. Part of what motivated me to, to gather these voices together was, um, I suppose, a loneliness that I was feeling in the early months of pandemic. Um, you know, literally and metaphorically, we were quarantined and isolated from one another. And um, I reached out to friends and colleagues and tried to find my way toward connection. One of the ways I tried to find toward connection was through the sharing of ideas, through um, a sharing of experience, and through sharing of this writing project. So one of the great delights, I think, of quarantine isolation was this book and was a reminder that we can connect to one another in ways not necessarily spatial, but emotional, psychological, spiritual, etc. Um, and that I could gather the presence of other people um, in the form of their words and in the form of the back and forths that uh, this book required. I felt like I was able to build a, a small community from among so many isolated parts. And so I, I do think that a great gift to me from this whole time period was the opportunity to really work closely, and I mean that figuratively, but to work closely with friends and colleagues, uh, people I admire greatly, uh, who can help buoy one another through a time of great challenge. So I suppose I can leave it at that. Well, speaking of delights, it's been a delight for me to speak with you, to talk about your incredible book, to give you congratulations on your well-deserved award, and to thank you for spending the time. 
Thank you so very much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the College Commons Podcast, available wherever you listen to your podcasts. And check out HUC Connect, compelling conversations at the forefront of Jewish learning. For more information about all that HUC Connect has to offer, visit huc.edu slash huc connect.